We'll see how we do out here today. The mosquitoes are thick and I can even see them buzzing. One just landed on my phone. <laughs> they are out here in force. So we'll see how much Matthew chapter 15 is run off by mosquitoes, right? Uh, I hope you're doing well today. We have some exciting, just a, a really cool passage. Um, one of the commentaries I read, he said that this, this conversation that Jesus has in Matthew 15 is one of the most confrontational of Jesus's new establishment and Jesus's uh, proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. This is it. This is this is one of the top-notch revelations that Jesus has. And uh, when you think that from the beginning, you're like, oh, okay. You know, kind of like when we take our kids to a movie and we say, this might be scary. The whole movie, they're watching it like, what's the scary part? What's going to be scary? And they're watching and they're, they're already ready and they're already anticipating that there's going to be a scary part. And it's funny, as I studied this this week, the whole, one of Jesus' biggest revelations of his kingdom is in here. Now you watch for it. And that's why I say that right at the beginning, because I want you to watch for it too, where, oh, one of the biggest deals that Jesus says is in this chapter. Here it comes. So... Last week, Jesus fed 5,000 people. He was healing and uh, casting demons out of people and preaching the good news of the kingdom, it said. And now Jesus is moving to a different section. He's traveling. Um, he's been traveling all around the Jewish territories, around Jerusalem and Galilee. And this week, he's going to go into the land of the Gentiles. We'll see what happens. So... Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So wherever he is, they have sent out, hey, go check this guy out. Go see what he's teaching. And they, they came from Jerusalem and they asked Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. So this comes up in a couple of the Gospels, and it's asked in different ways. So it, it must have been a regular thing that happened. Um, earlier on, they were walking through the field. Remember, they were walking through the field, and they harvested some grain and, and ate it. Uh, I, I started reading about this and diving into it. They had a special way of washing their hands. And they would wash their hands. They would pour water. Um, the amount of water was one and a half eggshells full of water. So that was the amount. And you would pour it over your hands like this and and it would have to drip off at your wrist because that water became unclean as soon as it touched your hand. And then you would wash your hands like this with water coming down and washing off the tip. And then you would wash your hands one more time with your with your fist washing over the outside of your hand. And that was how they did it. That was the way to wash your hands. You know, we've had the stuff with the coronavirus. Uh, sing this song while you wash your hands. Or here's the right way to wash your hands to get this off and to get between there and all that. Um, they were wish washing their hands for matters of ceremonial cleansiness, cleansing and holiness. 
and to just give you an idea of the level that they were at they they were so devoted to the activities of their religion that to not wash your hands the right way was equal to uh, sleeping around to adultery it was equal to murder to, to, to killing little kids was on the same level as not washing your hands the proper way so that that gives you some depth of wow they were really really upset you know why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders they don't wash their hands when they eat and it sounds laughable but um, the way the way the Pharisees thought was that the Babylonian captivity happened Babylonian captivity I mean all the stuff in Isaiah of people you know dying and and resorting to cannibalism as they're starving to death and being dragged off to Babylon with fish hooks all of that they understood happened because they didn't obey the law and that is somewhat true um, because Isaiah and he says it is that you're not following God in your hearts you, you, you draw near with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so the people's hearts were away from God. That's who they were. They, they're in their being, in who they were, they were far from God. And so they didn't obey the law. And God put them into exile as a discipline to, to Babylon. So they didn't want that to ever happen again. And so to keep that from ever happening again... They said, we just have to keep the law. That's what we got to do. And they missed that we just need to draw near to God with our hearts and so obey the law. Instead, they said, we just need to obey the law. That's what we need to do. And uh, it's a little messed up logic, right? And, um, and so they made more laws. And they kept those laws. And they were rigorous. And they were determined about those laws. And so every time somebody broke the law, like you didn't wash your hands right, it's your fault that the Babylonian captivity is going to happen to us again. It's your fault that Rome rules over us. Ah! And that's, that's what they, you know, do that for generations. And, um, you know, that's what's wrong with this country, is that those guys don't wash their hands. That's what's the matter with the world today. Those guys are, you know, whatever. That's why they're so upset. So Jesus answers them. And he's getting a little aggressive. <clears throat> he says, Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they want to know, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Jesus wants to know, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For instance... This is Jesus. God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles their father and their mother must die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained to me is given to God, he doesn't have to honor his father. So this goes back to, this is, this is really cool. Jesus knew all about all of the religious controversies of the day and what people argued about 
and what people um, divided over. And there was a, a practice that the Levite priests would do, and they would say, I dedicate all of my property and all of my land and all of my riches to God. It's all an offering to God. And then their parents would be poor and they would say, Son, you've become rich as a, as a priest. Provide for us and care for us. And he would be able to say, I, I can't give it to you. It's not mine to give. I've dedicated it to God. And then he would still live in luxury and enjoy all of his riches that he got from being a corrupt priest. And his parents would be starving to death. So that was an actual example that the rabbis argued over. And there was a whole, almost like a denomination, that believed that that was okay. That that was perfectly fine. Because if you made a vow, you had to keep it. And if you vowed that all your stuff belonged to God, then you couldn't freely give it away to anybody, even your starving parents, because you had to keep your vow. And that's what they taught. And in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your mother and your father, <laughs> right? Uh, there, there are other places where it talks about caring for your family and uh, welcoming them and providing for their needs. And Jesus is saying, you, by your tradition, break the Ten Commandments. Not even, not even your made-up Babylonian extra laws. You're breaking the Ten Commandments with your tradition. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the Word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching like doctrines the commandments of men. It's in vain. Their worship is in vain. Their worship is worthless. Because they're teaching man's commandments like they're God's commandments. They're teaching man's ideas like they're doctrines of God. Uh, we, we, are, we are having this right now, you guys. This is happening to us as we speak. Um, I encountered this, I mean, in just various forms of legalism. I've encountered different places I've been where um, you, you have to wear a tie to church. Kind of, kind of teaching, and we laugh at that. We think that's silly. There are a ton of Christians that think that God deserves respect, and you have to wear a tie at church, um, and will judge your righteousness based on that. There are a ton of Christians that think women should only wear skirts, right? Women shouldn't wear pants. Um, all, of, all of that, and. If you're not in that, you think it's ridiculous. But the legalism that you're in, you think makes sense. So that's a huge warning to us, right? If there's any time we're going to judge somebody, righteous or unrighteous, based on a law, we are practicing this thing that the Pharisees practiced against Jesus. No matter how we justify it, if we say it's just honor to God, it's just respect to people. If we if we're judging people's righteousness by their actions, we 
are doing the same thing. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I had a pastor mentor one time, and he said, I want you to disagree with my sermons. I want you to question all of my teaching. I want you to always be suspicious and to take through the scripture everything I teach you. But if you have anything, any disagreement, you have to bring a chapter and verse to the disagreement. If you disagree with anything I teach, I want you to search the Bible to investigate if it's true or not. But if you do disagree, you have to bring chapter and verse. And that was such a cool way because I've worked in churches where people disagreed because they didn't like it. Or people threw up a big kerfuffle because uh, it just wasn't good teaching. But it was scriptural. They just didn't like it because their law, because their legalism. And um, so this is a warning for us, right? Whoa, watch out. Draw near to God with your hearts. Uh, your actions are not, are not the thing to fix. He goes on. Jesus calls the people to him and he says, Listen, everybody, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. The disciples come to him, this is probably a little bit later, and they say, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when you heard this? See, the disciples are still thinking the Pharisees are religious authorities and that the Pharisees are respectable and and should be listened to. And they're like, you offended them. And Jesus, he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Leave them alone. So every plant that God didn't plant is going to get uprooted. He says that about the Pharisees. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. If you follow them, they are so blind they have no idea, and everybody that follows them is blind. What a statement by Jesus, huh? Peter said to him, Okay, then explain this parable to us, Jesus. Jesus, are you still not getting it, man? Come on. Whatever goes into your mouth passes into your stomach and comes out. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes out of your heart, what you say comes out of your heart, and that has the power to defile you and make you unclean. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So he said, he quoted Isaiah, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he explains that out of the overflow of your heart are your words. And so if all you ever do is complain about your neighbors, then your heart is full of hatred for your neighbors. If all you ever do is carry on about how awesome this bass boat is and and how this boat is just awesome and you can catch so many fish with this boat and ooh, it's red and it'll look really good in my driveway. Your heart is full of this idol that's the bass boat. Does that make sense? 
And so your heart is what's always not your ventricle, left ventricle, right ventricle. Your heart, soul, who you are inside, who, what dwells there, what, what being is the greatest in there. And that is going to overflow out. And that's what you're always going to talk about, positive or negative. And that's what's always going to come out of your mouth. And if it's hatred, adultery, murder, sexual immorality, evil thoughts, false witness, if it's all of that, that just reveals that your heart is going to perish. That your heart is rotten. And uh, Jeremiah said the heart is wicked above all things. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets saying, I'm going to take away your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my life in you. And now I have the heart of Jesus. I have the heart and soul, the the inner workings of Jesus Christ. He's put his life in me. And so the overflow of my heart is going to be talking about Jesus. And is going to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And it's going to be life-giving and not life-sucking or death-delivering. Gosh. These are what, Matthew 15, 20, These are what defile a person. But with to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus just lays it out. These Pharisees, in their hearts... Are, are talking, you know, about, oh, this evildoer, this adulterer, this blah, blah, judge, 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 slander, 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 slander. Their heart is full of that wickedness. And that is defiling them. It's defiling us, right? What, what do you, what, when you look on Facebook and you're craving, what, what posts make you happy and get you excited and, and give you energy? Are they all the posts carrying on hating somebody? That's terrible. Why would you want, why would you want as recreation to hate somebody? Draw near to God with your heart. It's not, it's not befitting for Christians to spend their time hating people and complaining. We've been given the words of everlasting life. And we need to listen to them ourselves and share them. Let them overflow to others. So Jesus goes away from there. And he withdraws to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is not, this is not Jewish land. This is Gentile land. And a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, came... And she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her. And his disciples came and said, Send her away. She's crying out after us. So Jesus is like walking along, not paying attention to this lady. He answers to the disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, We don't know how he said this. We don't know what the inflection is. Remember, he just sent them out a couple chapters ago. Don't go to the Gentiles. Just go to the Jews. But now they're in Gentile territory. They're in the land of the Gentiles. They've left left the Jewish cities. And so he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And 
none of those people are going to be around him. <laughs> He's going to be surrounded by by Gentiles. And so it's pretty wild to, that um, maybe Israel isn't the Israel that they think it is. It could be that. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's he's showing he was sent to Israel and he replays this a couple times. Israel didn't listen and so he went to the Gentiles. And we after this altercation with the Pharisees just now where the Pharisees weren't listening. The Pharisees are worried about washing hands and um, not worried about their heart and soul. So she keeps coming. Now she's in front of him. She kneels before him. She says, Lord, help me. He said, it's not right to take with the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, so this is really mean, sort of. Uh, Jesus calls, says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. It was a common thing for Jewish people to call Gentiles dogs. Because they were, they thought they were all disgusting. And they were unclean. And they were, eh, despised by God. What he says, the word Jesus uses, is like puppy. And so, it's a little bit like, wait a minute, what? Um, He's not saying dog like the vermin, like the disgusting critter. He's using the cute word for dog. And so he is definitely interacting with her somehow. He's not just shutting her down. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies. She said, yes, Lord, but even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So it's almost like uh, a dog would be evil and disgusting. To call you a puppy would be, you're just a little disgusting. (laughs) Does that make sense? You're just a little unclean. He's already uh, putting a diminutive on who she is, on her her wickedness and her evil. He's already lessening it. Lessening decreasing the amount of her unrighteousness with his words. So he's hinting at mercy. He's hinting at, there's a mosquito right on the lens. Unbelievable. Um, He's already hinting that she might not be as evil as Jewish people claim she is. She has this clever thing. Even the children get to eat the crumbs that fall. Even the puppies get to eat the crumbs that the kids drop. And Jesus is so excited. And he says, Gosh, your faith is great, lady. You you, you understand who I am. You understand the power I have. So her attitude is, I'm not worthy to receive anything you have. But the least little bit, tiny, tiny, tiny bit of what you have, Jesus, is more than enough for every single thing I I need. That is great faith. That is not uh, insincere false humility. That is sincere humility. And it's seeing Jesus' supreme, incredible power for what it is. He says, how great is your faith? May it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Wherever her daughter is in some Gentile land, right? In some city. Not there. She didn't have her daughter with her. Her daughter was healed just like that. She believed. She didn't deserve it. But it wasn't a false humility. She wasn't beating up herself. 
she just knew that Jesus was powerful and even the littlest thing he could fix. So he did it. So Jesus goes on from there and he goes to the Decapolis. And uh, the Decapolis is a group of ten cities. This is where Jesus cast demons, the, the all the pig demons, um, all the demons out of the guy, and they all went into the pig. The legion of demons went into the pigs, and they all jumped into the sea. And then Jesus sent that guy off, and he said, Go and tell everybody what's been done for you. And other than that, these people have only heard rumors of Jesus. They've only heard about him. <clears throat> he goes up there. He sits down on the side of a mountain, and great crowds come to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they brought them all, and he healed them all. So that dude's been doing some work. Word has gotten around. Uh, It's just, it's so good to think this through. That, and I mean, it's something we can dream of, right? And this goes into the overflow of our mouth, from the overflow of our mouth. Over, let's try it here. From the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so Jesus had a reputation that when he showed up, you could bring all of your sick, all of your lame, and he would heal. There's a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. It's a really good book, and I highly recommend it. And um, it's also quoted in the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, which I also recommend. And there's this lady, and her life is just falling apart. And she has all these problems. She's uh, pregnant, and she's not married, and uh, just all kinds of trouble. And somebody says to her, maybe you should go to a church for help. And she says, a church? Why would I want to go there? And her perception of the church is all these Pharisees. That it's a bunch of people that are going to judge her by what she does, judge her by her actions, decide if she's righteous or not by all the things that she's doing. Is she washing her hands right or not? And uh, she sees no point in going to a church. The reputation that Jesus had was that when he came into the came and sat down on a mountain, Jesus is within the travel of us. We have to get to him. Let's go. Let's get. Let's listen to Jesus and he'll heal. What if that was our reputation? What if, as followers of Jesus, our reputation could be that we have the heart of Jesus and it overflows and we speak and that people would actually want to hear what we have to say as Christians? What if people wanted to hear our wisdom? It's not that they don't want to hear it because they're against Jesus. They don't want to hear it because for so long, Christians have said hateful, terrible things and, um, and not lived it. Wow, what if we could do this, church? They wondered. The people came and they wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. These are Gentiles. They've been called dogs by the people of Israel. They have been treated as nothing better 
than the coal that's going to make hell hotter. And when they see Jesus and they meet Jesus, they rejoice and they worship the God of Israel. Gosh, don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just want to draw near to him and just overflow with the heart of Jesus? He calls all the disciples. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they've had nothing to eat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait a minute. So Jesus has been on the side of this mountain teaching and healing. The crowd has been there and they've basically had a three-day revival festival <laughs> of teaching and healings and worshiping on the side of this mountain for three days and they have nothing to eat I'm unwilling to send them away hungry otherwise they'll faint on the way the disciples said where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd this is the same thing as the other time and they're kind of like oh are you going to do this again well, I mean where are we going to get all this food they have seven loaves of bread a few fish he has them all sit down and they feed everybody. And everybody is satisfied. And everybody is fed again. Well, here's, here's why this was controversial. Now he's in the Decapolis. These aren't Jews. These are Gentiles. And um, there's an idea that there's manna in heaven. There's bread of angels. And Moses brought down that manna the bread of angels and all the Jewish people could eat it and they'd provide for, for all the Jewish people for forever. They'd never go hungry. But now we're in the Gentile land. I mean, is God really going to provide for the Gentiles? Does God really care about the Gentiles? Well, remember, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he quoted Isaiah and he said... These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Their worship is worthless. The fact that they are God's chosen people is worthless. Because they aren't living it out. They aren't doing it. And what are all the Gentiles doing? The Gentiles are drawing near to God. This, this woman that fell down at Jesus' feet, she was drawing near to God with her heart because she knew heart and soul, a crumb of Jesus' power was enough to cast a demon out of her daughter. So the transition is happening, and it's just have a hummingbird fly by my head. That was nicer than a mosquito. The transition is happening, and Jesus is showing the disciples that the God of Israel is the God of the world, that he came for all of us, that, that everyone that would draw near to him in faith. It's, this is in Roman, Romans 3.21. Now there's righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. A, a righteousness apart from how well you wash your hands. Uh, apart from whatever evil thing you did. And uh, it comes out of who Jesus has recreated you to be on the inside. Uh, another way to look at this is about being and doing. 
you know, it's really easy to do all the right stuff. Uh, when I was in college, you know, they had to have food for Muslims and Hindus and vegetarians and everybody. Uh, Southern Indiana, German descent people, the whole thing. And it was really easy to eat like a vegetarian or to even eat um, a, a Hindu diet. It was easy to eat that because they were serving it to us every day in the cafeteria. It's easy to do an outward religious act if you just set up your environment to help you do it, right? Um, if I unplug the power from my house, it's really easy to not watch TV. That's what a religious activity is. That's the doing. But the being of who you are, you, you have been, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, is Galatians 2.20. The life I live, I live by Christ in me. So I could unplug my TV and brag about never watching TV, but in my being and who I am, always be thinking about violent movies or always be thinking about sex on TV. I could always be thinking about it if my heart's full of that. But Christ has redeemed me and changed me and transformed me. So I'm a different person now. And out of that different person, I do different things. Now, I don't always do what I want to do. Sometimes I'm stupid. Sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes I react wrong. But it's not what I do that makes me who I am. It's who I am that makes me what I do. It's who I am inside. My heart and soul makes me do things. And that's what I act out of. So when we judge somebody else by what they do, we're acting like an Old Testament Pharisee that's heart is far from God. And when we act out of our who we are, I'm in Christ. I dwell in Him. And out of that, I act. That's when we're doing what Jesus was wanting us to do. That's when we're living Christ's life. The, the Christ life that's in us, that He put in us Himself. And that's when all the people, all the people that are seeking after Him, regardless of their actions, regardless of, of their politics, regardless of their, of their beliefs about anything else, when they want to draw near to Jesus, they'll be drawn to that. And then Jesus Himself will work on the inside of them to change them. And to, and to conform them into his image. He doesn't care how we wash our hands. It's, it's our heart close to him. Do we have faith in him? And that may or may not drive us to wash our hands. All through this, I'm quoting scripture about washing hands. You know this applies to a whole bunch of other, other things. And I hope that you take some time this week to praise God that you aren't judged by a law of what you do and praise Him that you can draw near to Him with your heart and then look for ways that we're stuck. Look for ways that we every day judge people by what they do and uh, draw near to Jesus in those and, um, and grow. God bless you.